Hi, hello, and welcome, everybody, to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Barry Botino, Associate Editor at Safety and Health, and with me, as always, are my fellow Associate Editors, Kevin Drury and Alan Ferguson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hey, Barry. This is our October 2022 episode. This is number 32 in the history of our podcast. And wherever or however you're listening to us, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you again to everyone who attended the 2022 NSC Safety Congress and Expo in San Diego last, last month. We had a great time, heard some terrific speakers, and we enjoyed meeting a lot of our magazine readers and podcast listeners. Uh, we know that many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession, and we want to hear more about it for our My Story feature in the magazine. You can submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth@nsc.org. You can view past My Story entries and catch up on other news from around the safety world on our website at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's episode, Kevin will take us on a deep dive into his unique feature story on mental health stigma in the workplace. We'll also be joined by Douglas Castro to talk about how safety training has changed over the past two plus years and what lies ahead. And the three of us will also share lessons learned in our What Did We Learn segment. Ready? Get set? Let's go! Each month here at On the Safe Side, we take a look at a feature story from the latest issue of Safety and Health Magazine, which we call our Deep Dive segment. In the October issue of Safety and Health, Kevin writes about countering mental health stigma in the workplace, a poignant topic during the COVID-19 pandemic. Kevin, will you make your way safely toward the deep end of the pool and tell us a little bit more about this story? Certainly, and thank you, Alan Ferguson, for the introduction to the story in this segment. Um, Without a doubt, we rely on the know-how of various experts for features such as this one and for all the mental health-related news alerts that we each write for the magazine, but I'm sure that we all can channel personal experience, be it our own or that of a friend or family member in this sphere. Um, as Alan indicated in the intro, as the story lead indicates, mental health challenges really have tested so many workers during the COVID-19 pandemic, but really we know that they did so before February and March 2020 and Will likely figure to loom as the pandemic uh, we hope continues to wane. And that really is where the first expert quoted in the story comes in. Uh, that was NIOSH research psychologist Jeannie Nigam, and she's among those who believe that because of the magnitude of mental health concerns, employers must make worker mental health as high of a priority as physical health. Uh, Jeannie uses the comparison of a twisted ankle. Um, imagine if you couldn't walk, she says, your first inclination is going to be to go to the doctor to get that figured out. So similarly, we need to approach mental health the same way. And Jeannie says, quote, we need to recognize that it happens to everyone. Well, Kevin, the story says that a big step toward equating mental health and physical health is confronting the stigma that often accompanies mental health disorders. How do employers and workers sort of begin to do that? Yes, absolutely. The, that point about stigma looming large is correct, and I imagine that's why we wrote about it for the magazine. And I know just anecdotally looking through our archives, that's a, a big point, whether it's a focus of a study or just an auxiliary part of some of the other matters that we've written about uh, related to, to mental health. One of those studies, though, um, this year with its Mind the Workplace report, Mental Health America reported that among 11,000 plus respondents to a survey, 66% disagree with the following statement. 
my company's leadership speaks openly about mental health in my workplace. 78% of respondents felt that work-related stress has triggered other mental health concerns, but yet just 35% indicated that they'd be comfortable requesting a mental health accommodation from a manager or from human resources. Uh, Rachel Cooper, who's a one-time cohort of ours at NSC and now is the Associate Director for the National Stigma Initiative at Shatterproof, which is an advocacy group, uh, she says that a key starting point is normalizing respectful conversation and attitudes around mental health concerns, which I know might sound kind of sort of simple or a grassroots, but people really said there's, there's a lot that goes into it because of this very topic, and stigma is that. I mean, it comes in so many forms, Rachel and others say, and there are even reforms that we just apply to ourselves, and it's that very stigma that can keep people from seeking the treatment and the support that they need. Um, Timothy Irving, who is the Deputy Director of OSHA's Directorate of Construction and also a faithful listener of this podcast, I recently have learned, he doubles down on this idea. and He says, quote, we need to begin the dialogue before the cultural change can happen, and we do need a cultural shift, again, not only on construction sites, but in workplaces in general. So with that, it's critical that all workers across industry be assured that they're in a safe space to share their experiences. Uh, an offshoot of stigma that many sources discussed was just this prevailing fear that some employees have that discussing their mental health openly or just in a one-on-one -on -one setting might negatively impact their employment or even opportunities for advancement. Another OSHA voice, Chip Hughes, who's the agency's Deputy Assistant Secretary for Pandemic and Emergency Response, mentioned a communication challenge that's of particularly concerning to men, and that is the, the quote-unquote macho culture that is associated with construction and other industries. Um, Hughes said that for some workers, opening up about mental health struggles may impact the, just the overall perceptions of masculinity or even start to erode their confidence. So it's just really starting to to get to that, to get to the why, and just to explain again that it's okay to, to open up about these things and that everyone really deals with them. So with that, just many people were advocating for getting started with peer discussions um, and, and how those can be of, of great help. Just simply hearing from coworkers who have successfully managed a mental health disorder can be an effective way to start on the road to getting that assistance. So as the stigma begins to fade, what are some logical next steps to take and assist workers in getting help? Many sources, as we'll talk about you know, in the course of this answer, talked about how there just really is a wealth of resources out there, and, and we'll get to those. And by not touching on one that you might yourself know of doesn't necessarily mean uh, that we're not endorsing it. It's just that there are so many out there. So that's that's really an important first step is that folks are aware of, of what's out there and just aware of how much of a, an issue this is in the workforce. But to that end, CDC um, it was was an agency cited by, by many just as kind of forming the bedrock. And CDC gives some advice, including uh, recommending that employers start by offering manager training, uh, helping managers recognize signs and symptoms of stress and depression in their workers. Um, and just, again, also to create that habit of encouraging workers to seek help from qualified mental health professionals, um, first and foremost doing that, but also knowing, again, that, that the first step to getting there is to be able to talk about it with your employer and, again, to know that that's okay. Um, staying with CDC, uh, it also is offering uh, numerous strategies for promoting mental health awareness in the workplace, and there's much more about this online, but some of those strategies are offering free or subsidized clinical screenings for depression, offering free or subsidized lifestyle coaching, counseling or self-management programs, 
and also providing materials such as brochures and videos that cover those signs and symptoms of poor mental health and avenues for treatment. Just in, in closing, um, I, I know Rachel, again, we mentioned something that she had said was just, this isn't about an employer or, or a coworker diagnosing what might be wrong. It's just about creating that safe space and that that environment for folks to know that it is okay to get help, that there's no stigma, there's nothing, quote unquote, the matter with them, that it's just something out there that their their workplace and, and their employer support. So again, we mentioned how there's so many resources out there and it starts at, at the local level. Just employers and workers too can become familiar with those resources that are available through city and county and state health departments and then just begin to to build from there. There, are, As we know, there's so many national organizations that we've mentioned in this segment today and also were mentioned in the story and previously in pages of the magazine. And those include the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, Mental Health America. Certainly NSC is involved in this space and, and so many more. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for all of your work on this story. If you want to read Kevin's feature and other news from around the safety world, please check out the October issue of Safety Health Magazine or visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So, what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your unique path into the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. Please email your submission to safehealth at nsc.org to share the road you traveled in your career journey of keeping workers safe and healthy. At the outset of the COVID-19 pandemic, the world of safety training was turned upside down. Workers and employers went from in-person toolbox talks and training classes to a whole new virtual world online. So how has the past two plus years impacted safety training? With us to talk about that topic today is Douglas Castro. And Douglas is the operations manager of EHS 911 and Global ERA Training. Douglas works with clients to design and develop in-person and virtual instructor-led training, along with on-demand training programs. And Douglas, we thank you for being with us on the safe side today. Hey, Barry. Hey, Kevin and Alan. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, Douglas, what we wanted to start with is, in, in what ways has safety training changed over, let's say, the past two plus years? <laughs> you mean when we came to the screeching halt, right? So, right, right. Absolutely. I, I think that, uh, in my opinion, our biggest change has gone to where uh, previously there was a resistance or a apprehension to online training, whether it was computer-based and especially towards face-to-face, uh, let's say like Zoom or Teams. And I think that one of the biggest changes and challenges that we actually saw was the, the learning curve. Uh, when it came to when it came to using Zoom and uh, Teams primarily, and in my opinion, I think what it's one of the probably the only times Barry that we share with our team here that it's probably been a multi generational effort to learn at the same time on the same topic. Usually, we learn things right from you say say K through twelve, college or adult learning in the workplace, all the way up until our senior years. Uh, senior citizen years. But in this case situation, I think it really took us from anyone who who's able to learn all the way up to senior citizens had to learn some form of fashion of online training or at least online meetings these days. Douglas, now that a number of workers have returned to offices and other work environments, have trainings followed suit and become more in-person? Um, I'll say I'll say this is I think that let, let's split it into different types of training. 
I think that general hazard awareness training, let's say, and general craft training, much of it is still being done either in a classroom or online. Like it, it's almost gone back to normal where it's been or very close to it prior to the pandemic. Um, when you get into particular training, like safety training, let's say for safety professionals or for leadership development, I find that much of it has stayed online. And I think that a lot of it has stayed online more because of, first of all, its convenience, and second of all, of its because of its cost effectiveness. And what I'm finding is um, it's also easier because much of the training winds up being more about behavioral-based safety or maybe more about theoretical or um, or let's say more safety management systems or environmental management systems. So it, I think that it, it's easily facilitated online. Whereas craft training, a lot of hands-on for employees, the necessity is still there to, for it to be in-person. I find that a big part of the in-person training now for craft, I see that it's changing a little bit. You know, I see the technology is gonna bring us to where, uh, as many of us know, uh, let's say augmented reality or virtual reality, it's the the technology is getting greater, the coding and the apps are getting greater. So I think that it'll put us in a much more strategic position moving forward. And then as far as the leadership development and more the safety training, behavioral-based training, I find that a lot of it is now, like I said, it's twofold. It's we're saving accessibility and time where we're actually able to do other tasks rather than traveling to a facility or to another city or destination to do our training. But also it's more affordable on the on the individual's training or the companies that are paying for the professionals or individual's training because they've they're no longer absorbing much of the travel cost. So I think it's a little I think it's a little bit of both to be honest with you. Uh, perhaps this is a good segue. Uh, so what types of technologies proved most valuable early on in the pandemic and how have workers and employers adapted to those? Um, in my opinion, I'm going to say that Zoom is the biggest one and Teams also. And it's funny in our office, we often talk about Zoom. It's almost like Google was 20 years ago, right? Where we use it in so many different aspects now. We use it as a subject. We use it as a verb. We use it as an adjective. And, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to be Zooming later on, right? I've got a Zooming and hey, I was Zooming with so-and-so. So what I find is that we're, we're, Zoom was probably the biggest game changer. Many of us, as I'm sure the three of you remember, we were using GoToMeeting, GoToTraining, a lot of Syntex products uh, prior or Siemens products earlier on. But now what's happening is that with the whole video conferencing, I think it's significantly changed the way we communicate. Um, I, don't, I don't think anything compares to in-person, whether it's an in-person training, an in-person conference or meeting. Uh, I think that as humans, we, we need that interaction. Most of us want that interaction. However, at the same time, I think that the next best tool that we have is video conferencing these days. And, and I'll give you a perfect example of it is that we do a significant amount of one of two things. We either do uh, contract work for clients, either building training programs for them or uh, helping them build their own programs and video programs. And second of all, we do a lot, a significant amount of leadership development and training uh, credential programs for safety professionals. And what we've seen more than, what we've seen for more than anything else is that that's where it has allowed students that may have never been able to meet in the same city at the same time to actually meet. 
So I'll give you a perfect example, gentlemen. We, uh, we do a good bit of training for either like standardized safety uh, testing. So we do preparatory classes for that. And then we do safety development uh, credential and certification classes as well in leadership development. And we now, we're, we're in New Orleans and we were based primarily out of New Orleans. And we also trained in Houston a significant amount. But now that we're now that we're online primarily, what we find is that we've got students at any given time from Hawaii to Miami to Sacramento to Brooklyn, all the way down to 45 minutes in Houma, Louisiana, which is about 45 minutes from New Orleans. So none of that I don't think would have been possible had we not embraced the whole online training and the whole video conferencing like we did uh, after the pandemic. Well, we appreciate that explanation, Douglas. That's a great example of, of, of how training has changed. Uh, I wanted to ask you how you see other technologies that may be coming down the horizon um, that could change how safety training is delivered. Oh, absolutely. So I think that this is, I think this is a great time that we're in, first of all. And the reason being is that we, I compare it to the Industrial Revolution back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And the reason I compare it to the Industrial Revolution is because we are finally to the point in technology to where, like I said a little bit earlier, a lot of coding is happening now. A lot of programming and app development is happening. And I think that the hardware systems are there now. You know, we're, you know, many of us have now gone to 5G, right? We've also gone to fiber optic within our homes and, and our businesses. So it's, it's actually affordable, or at least it's becoming more affordable and more mainstream now. And what's happened is I think that now with the evolution over the last decade of the tablets, the smartphone, and then also computers just processing much quicker, I think that what's happening is, is that we're actually getting programs that are pre-built that are plugins more for us than anything else these days so so what's happening is is that we're able to implement these tools now and actually use them effectively within our workplaces and within our professions and i'll give you some perfect examples of that like we said first of all zoom and teams is, is a perfect example but also just let's say just file storage you know if you think about uh, Google Documents, right? Or you think about uh, Smart Sheets, or you think about Dropbox. Originally, we were just uploading documents to be able to transfer files back and forth. Now we're actually working on these platforms, and it's actually li live documents and storage at the same time. And many of, the, I think, many of the organizations, let's say Microsoft, Intel, Apple, they're actually those systems now are being integrated into these online storage programs. So now we have a, not only storage in one facility, but we also have a workable product. And even some of them now even becoming a customer relationship management system, a CRM. So not only do we have document storage, do we have document editing, right? Now we have customer relationship or, or, or let's say participant relationship management going on in addition to a learning management system that are almost all being integrated into one. So I, I think it's a great time right now. Um, I think we're going to see a significant amount of new organizations come into the come into the industry. And I also think that many of the organizations that we've previously seen, whether it's hardware or software companies, are going to start developing more products because this this is our new future, in, in my opinion. Um, our organization, we're very small. There's only four of us. And we've been here for years, but there was a lot of resistance. And I think it's because we often go to what we know 
and what we know is in-person training, what we know is in-person relationships. And I think that, in my opinion, imagine putting a DVD player in to a DVD into a player. Uh, first of all, think about the last time you heard the, the term DVD, right? Rather than streaming or, or YouTube or Vimeo. But imagine putting a DVD into a player and we hit fast forward. And I think in one aspect, COVID made us either pause or even come to a screeching halt. But as far as technology, I think the fast forward button got hit and we all saw what probably would have taken years to develop, develop instantly. And because of the need and the demand now, I think that it's putting these hardware and software companies in the position and, and, and new participants into the industry to where they want to build systems for us because there's an economic value. And I think that there's also a social value to it as well. As we wrap up with you today, for workers who attend safety training classes and events, what will change for them going forward? It kind of piggybacks on what we just recently spoke about. I think that changes that I think that we're going to see coming over the next, let's say over the next handful of years, is I think that we're going to see that augmented reality, virtual reality, I think it's going to be improved and maybe even perfected to some degree. I also, in addition to that, I think that uh, like I said, participation for even craft, I'm finding more and more organizations now are looking for input or looking for video uh, to be able to build their own systems, whether it is a consensus group, whether it is a training organization or the employer themselves. And I think that what we're going to see now is that we're going to be able to see more participation at all levels of the corporate workplace. So anywhere from technicians to supervisors, foremen, superintendents, all the way to safety departments or even HR, I, I think it's gonna I think it's going to harmonize us, if you ask me. And it it gives us a better relationship because all parts of the system will be working together better, which is great. As as all of us know on the line, uh, safety management system has seven components, and the seventh component is communication and coordination. And if there's any hiccup or most hiccups that we've had in the past, many of us know behavioral-based decisions or safety or lack of behavioral-based has often been a challenge. But much of that comes from the lack of communication and coordination. And I think that between technology and most of us embracing technology, I think that we're going to be, we're definitely going to be able to communicate, but now we can also better coordinate. Um, piggybacking on that, I'll give you a perfect example of it, is I'm finding that many of our clients more and more now, when they have an issue, and, and this kind of happened even back to, we, we were, were pretty much doing this even back to 2015, 2016, and 2017, which was clients were FaceTiming us at the time or sending us video footage of work processes or work areas where they may have had challenges and questions. So rather than going out to a work site, to do an inspection and the client incurring the charge for travel and also, you know, a premium for us traveling out of town and not being able to have other opportunities to do work. What I find is that now, especially with any, anything, any smartphone, a tablet, uh, many programs like Zoom or Teams, is that we can be walked through a virtual inspection or a virtual audit, or we can go to a, maybe just one area where a client or an employer have an issue. And it is so much easier just to look at it now, being on the internet, 
So it is so time, it is so much, so time saving for everyone. And it gives us more time to find solutions. It gives us more opportunities to find what vendors or what service providers or, or what consensus groups. Perfect example. Uh, many of the, many of the topics that get spoken about at the national safety conference, uh, during conferences or even in any of the publications, the podcasts or the magazines. And what, what it is allowed to do now with technology is it is allowing us to hopefully better find those solutions and much quicker. Uh, I'll give you a, an additional example to it is also the OSHA e-tools. Many, many of us in safety still, or even on the leadership side, don't realize that OSHA has a significant amount of online tools. Uh, OSHA, between OSHA and IOSH, more videos are being produced. Also, the OSHA e-tools, which are the e-resources for different standards. And what happens now is, or it has happened actually for over 20 years, but it's really gotten popular over the last handful, which is anyone since it's open source can go to the OSHA website, whether it be on a smart on a smart device or whether it be on a computer, and actually pull up specific situations like scaffolding situations or forklift situations, and actually look at the data that OSHA has assembled with other stakeholders and be able to easily identify what the basic requirements are for that type of position or that type of task. And also they've linked the OSHA standards to those particular situations so that employers know what corrective actions they need to put in place in order to eliminate, substitute, or even try to control that hazard while the work is being performed. So I've, I've definitely, I definitely see a, a great value to that over time because many of the answers that many of us seek now with technology, we're getting to those answers much more easily and we're able to share lessons learned, what has worked, what hasn't worked, so that we can help continue to provide appropriate health and safety for the employee in the workplace. Great. Well, Douglas, we thank you so much for your insights on this topic. We really appreciate the conversation and we're really glad to spend some time with you today here on The Safe Side. Thanks so much. Oh, absolutely. The last thing I'd like to add is this, is I think that going forward, we, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. And I tell people, maybe we should watch the Jetsons more. Much of what happened, <laughs> much of what happened in the late 60s and 70s on the Jetsons, we're seeing it to this day. So it, it's really, it's really humorous, but it's really interesting at the same time. So absolutely. Douglas, thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you, gentlemen. As we approach the end of this episode, it's about that time to discuss what we've learned in the past month, whether on the job or off. And to get things started, I will talk about the uh, new white paper from the National Safety Council, kind of detailing effective interventions when it comes to musculoskeletal disorders, and that's published via the Council's MSD Solutions Lab initiative. And this paper references nearly 60 scientific studies and academic publications and looks at um, interventions across top, the top 10 affected industries kind of to determine which ones are most effective at uh, reducing MSDs. Uh, Kevin, how about you? Well, maybe it's fitting that we had such a tech-savvy guest this month in Douglas because uh, what I learned in so many words is that technology is embraceable. Um, although right now I'm using the new headphones that I was commissioned a couple of years ago and the <laughs> the, the, the tag is hanging off them. This is pretty darn intuitive to do it. Um, and you'll, you'll continue to laugh because... Uh, my my kid sister walked me through getting Uber on my phone. I mean, I understand that it is the tech age and this and that. But when, when Douglas poses the question, who still uses a DVD? Well, I do. I often go to the library. It's an easy way and a, and a quick way to get new releases. Um, and I also smiled the other day. We had some 
friends over and they've got some little guys that are what are they four through nine but it's monkey see monkey do where i was plugging in my old nes and just it's fun to see kids that young blowing into the cartridge like many of us did uh 30 years ago so while that stuff is always near and dear to my heart it is nice to know that the tech is out there and it's you know for somebody like me it's just a matter of putting the the port in the side of your laptop uh barry what did you learn well, Kevin, I do have to say that the tag hanging off the headset does have a very mini pearl feel I was just to it. So say that. Much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Taking me back to when my father used to watch uh, watch that show <laughs> on Saturday nights. So, um, gentlemen, what I learned this month is we have a news brief on safetyandhealthmagazine.com uh, related to a new uh, virtual workshop that NIOSH is hosting on November 8th and 9th. And this is a workshop about equitable personal protective equipment protections for all U.S. workers. And it's led by NIOSH's Personal Protective Technology Program. And it sounds like it's going to be a really interesting event. It's it's a uh, two-day event, going to begin at 10 a.m. Eastern uh, each day. And on our website, there are several goals that the uh, agency wants to uh, go after, including um, sharing information to confirm the identity uh, of underserved user populations and discuss the, the challenges that folks have with ec- equitable protections across industries. So if you're uh, online, uh, check that out at safetyandhealthmagazine.com and uh, feel free, you can go attend that virtual workshop November 8th and 9th. Is there something important that you learned this month? Share it with us via email at safehealth@nsc.org or use the hashtag SafeSide on social media. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's episode. We know that your time is very valuable and we appreciate you spending some of it with us. If you'd like to share some feedback, email us at safehealth at nsc.org. We'd also appreciate you sharing a rating and review of this podcast. To find stories such as Kevin's feature on countering mental health stigma, our coverage from the NSC Safety Congress and Expo in San Diego, and all the latest news from around the safety world, visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Original music for this podcast was composed by Steve Maslin. Thank you, Steve. We'll be back next month to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile. In the meantime, please stay on the safe side. <music>